0: Welcome back, and we are back in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 7, uh, this morning as we continue looking at uh, Gideon and what God is doing through him. Last week, here, uh, yeah, last week, we just missed Wednesday night. Last week we saw Gideon had gathered the army of, the, uh, of Israel and uh, then he had stopped and put out the fleece. He had come to the end of the knowledge that he had of what God had for him. So he sought God's face, uh, putting out the fleece to seek uh, what God had and what God's direction was. And we learned a few things. Uh, the first thing we learned is we learned that if we're going to do this, if we're going to put out this fleece, when we've come to the end of what we know to do, then it needs to be something that's unnatural. Gideon started out putting uh, the fleece out and asking for the dew to be on the fleece only and not on the ground, and fleece is a very absorbent material. The wool is very absorbent, so this would have, could have been a natural thing. Um, and then he asked for the wool to be dry and uh, the, fleece to be, or the, the ground to be wet all around it. And this was an unnatural thing. This is how he knew that this was exactly what God wanted. And he was able to wait. Uh, He was able to continue on. And now Gideon is hes in a holding pattern. He's waiting for God's direction. And him and the army are gathered together. They're uh, camped above the Midianites and the Amalekites. And God is going to follow through and give him that direction that he's he's looking for. God is going to give him a battle plan. And and to say that God's battle plan is unconventional is... uh, would be an understatement because uh, we've seen it before when God defeated Jericho how he had them march around the city one time uh, a day for six days not saying anything and then seven times on the seventh day and on the seventh the end of the seventh trip they blew the trumpets and they shouted and the walls fell down. No one in their right mind would have ever thought that that would have been the case but God knows everything. God knows the best way the best thing to do for everything and here God is going to give Gideon a battle plan that not only uh, delivers Israel from the Midianites, but also uh, brings God all the honor and the glory. Um, it it allows, does not allow any room for Israel to vaunt themselves and to be prideful. And that's, that's exactly what we see in these first few verses, uh, is what God is worried about. So Gideon, or, um, Judges chapter 7 and verse number 1. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Mor- uh, Mora in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead and there returned of the people 20 and 2000 and there remained 10000 and the Lord said unto Gideon the people are yet too many bring them down under the water and I will try them for thee there and it shall be that of whom I say unto thee this shall go with thee the same shall go with thee and of whosoever I say unto thee this shall not go with thee the same shall not go so he brought down the people under the water and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand and their trumpet, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you again for this glorious day, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and share your truth. Lord I pray that you would guide and direct, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would be strengthened and encouraged, and that we would see things in these men, in this course of action that God has for Gideon and the men, that we would see things in our own lives that need to change, things that we can adjust uh, so that we can be uh, those good soldiers that you ask us to be. So Lord, please, guide and direct. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing we see is that the people are too many. Uh, And God says, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, lest they become prideful and, and think that they've done this. There's too many people. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows the height and depth of man's heart. He knows that man, much like Satan, the God of this world, is prideful at heart. Even the slightest glint of self makes us gives us a big head. A feeling of self-reliance keeps us far away from God. It keeps us from desiring God. And God knows that Israel will look at themselves first, always. They've proven this time and time again. That they would rather rely on themselves than God, unless they have to. And we see that Gideon has gathered an army of 32,000 and one man. 32,000 men plus himself. And it was too many. Israel would no doubt feel that they had defeated Midian on their own. Even though they had just been hiding in fear and and, uh, cowering, they would feel like it was all them. So God decides to prune. And this is one thing that we need to remember as we uh, go through that. uh, I know I've been through it in several different churches, and I'm sure you guys have as well. But uh, As you, just like in nature... Sometimes you have to prune in order for the plant to grow. And sometimes God prunes the church. It's not because uh, those people are bad people that they they leave or because uh, there's something wrong in the church. It could simply be that God is just splitting. He's dividing. He's asking things to move so that they can step out. He's asking things to move so that others can step out. So that the church can grow and it can move on. And here God is going to do some pruning and he's going to do some excessive pruning. Um, God first instructs Gideon to go throughout the camp and tell all that are fe- fearful and afraid to return to their families. God knew the hearts of those men. And in one failed swoop, 22,000 men Left. 22,000 men that would let fear keep them from what God had them to do. They knew why they were there. They knew that they were going to be there. They were there to defend Israel against Midian, against the Amalekites. They were there for war. And yet they allowed fear to take them away from that. We've talked about it before, but the only fear... Uh, as we looked at Gideon earlier, the only fear that is sin is fear that keeps you from serving God. Now God used this, and these 22,000 men left and went home, and they were they were free to do whatever they needed to do. So fear is not an immediate disqualification, and it's not an immediate sin. It's only, again, it's only sin unless it keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. When it does, this fear becomes an idol that we worship before God. We saw when God found Gideon that he was hiding in fear from the Midianites. We see again in a few verses that Gideon sends God, or that God sends Gideon, down to the edge of the camp with his servant to calm his fears. Gideon is acting out of courage. He's acting in spite of his fear. And the others are letting their fear act for them. But just imagine being in Gideon's shoes as he watches twenty-two thousand men leave, knowing that God had commanded it, and it's all that kept—that's all that kept him going. This is an important lesson for us. When we have trials, when we have fears, when we have... <laughs> problems in our christian walk if we're not a hundred percent sure that we're following god's will then we cannot have the peace that comes with it when rachel and i went on the road uh, when all of us went on the road but when we left we left with just one church supporting us Uh, left with the money that we had we had still owned the house in albion we had it on the market um had the trailer payment, had all of these things going on, and had no idea how things were going to work out. But we knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that that's exactly where God wanted us to be, that we were doing what God wanted us to do, that we weren't off to the side, we weren't far out of God's will. We were right in the middle. And we were able to boldly step out and do what God needed us to do. And I'm not going to say it was easy. I mean... We got to Texas for the first the first uh, project, and our refrigerator went out. Brakes went out first. Well, yeah, the brakes went out on the truck on the way to the project. <laughs> Thankfully, the mayor of the town was the uh, mechanic in town, and he actually gave us a just charged us for the parts. He didn't end up charging us for the labor because we were there helping a uh, church in his town. And then the refrigerator went out, and. We got a phone call from a place in Kansas that needed help, and it worked out for us to leave. And instead of being two and a half hours away from the nearest uh, people that could fix our refrigerator, we were 10 blocks. And they came and took the refrigerator out and left us with the trailer. We didn't have to move out. We didn't have to try and find other lodging. They just came and took the refrigerator, fixed it, came and put it back in, and let us pay while we were there. God worked everything out. When we were driving through Tennessee and the wheel almost fell off the truck, we were able to sit back and count the FedEx cars, FedEx trucks going by waiting for the guy to come help us, knowing that we were at that specific point because God needed us to meet that man. Because that man needed to be witnessed to. Knowing that it was all part of God's plan. Here, Gideon is watching two-thirds of his army that he's just gathered leave. But he's knowing that it's part of God's plan. And the cool thing is, I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen in your life, but it seems like those times when you are at your lowest You can look forward to the biggest miracles. And God says here, the men are still too many. I can only imagine Gideon's mind as God says, you still, you have 10,000 men. It's still too many. But Gideon goes on and continues to follow. God comes up with another test. He sends all the men down to the water. And there he observes the men, and and he separates them into two groups. Now, he knew ahead of time who was going to do what. Don't ever miss that. He knew ahead of time. God knew who he needed to be there, who was going to be obedient, who was going to follow exactly the steps that needed to be followed, because that's the key. These men needed to follow exactly what God had for them. The one group went down to the water and knelt down, cupping their put the water in their hand and brought it to their mouth and lapped it like a dog. The other went down and plunged their face directly into the water. The difference was enormous. You have a group of 300 men and you have a group of almost 10,000, 9,700 men. And God sent the majority home. I can only imagine at that point Gideon starting to feel the butterflies going to high gear. Thinking, 300 men against this massive army. Yet, again, knowing that this is what God wanted. Knowing that this, God was doing this. The God of all creation was doing this. What we learn from this split, we learn we learn a few things from it. The first thing is, We must always remember that in nature, again, sometimes it's needful to prune. And sometimes it's needful to prune excessively. A lot of plants, if you prune them too much, they die. But there are some that you prune to nothing and they come back vibrantly. Rachel loves these plants. I love them because I don't have a green thumb. Wildfires burn all over this country, all over the world. Right now, they're blaming the haze and the the allergies and things on a wildfire in Canada. They have a really hard time believing that that's all affecting us. But we, the reason that we as people have problems with wildfires is because we build where the wildfire is going to be. And we're so focused on our stuff that we miss what... Is happening through these fires now I don't ever wish for anybody to go out and purposely set fire but the fire is used to prune when I was on the fire department I was uh, I had 19 years old to become the assistant chief we got asked to go just outside of town here uh, just west of the park if you continue out on that road that goes by the park and go across the bridge across Indian Creek Right there on the south side of that road is a big uh, pasture. Well, it's a field now. Then it was a pasture. It was in CRP. Uh, it was in a program that the government would pay them to. It was a crop reclamation program. Anyway, anyway, the government paid the farmer to not grow crops, to let the ground sit, and to go back to natural foliage, natural grass, natural flowers. Um, one of the requirements is they could not mow it. Uh, but they could burn it every year. So they asked the fire department to come out and burn it because it was too big for them to handle themselves. So we took our trucks out, and apparently it was too big for us to handle by ourselves. The wind shifted, and um, we had to call in a couple of other towns to help us out, to get it under control, to make sure it didn't spread to the nearby uh, farmland. But we got it under control. But the reason that they would burn it off is it burned out all those weeds, all the... The unwanted stuff, and everything that that was beautiful had already taken root, and it grew back. And when it grew back, it grew back with flowers, and it was just it was very beautiful. When a wildfire burns out west through the mountains, it takes out all the undergrowth, it takes out all the dead foliage, and it allows the things that are already well established to thrive, and it allows new growth to come in that that is actually feeds the animals and takes care of them. Sometimes it's necessary. The fire puts nutrients back into the soil. I don't know, uh, you guys have gardened a little bit, um, but they used to, or I've heard, that the best way to grow potatoes is you cut an eye out of a, a potato And then you dig the hole. And before you put the potato in the hole, you strike a match and let it burn down until it burns out. And put it in the bottom of the hole, put the potato on it, and it adds sulfur to the ground. And that helps the potatoes be more... What's the word? Um, Give a higher yield. Produce more. Helps them to be bigger. Helps them to be uh, better, better fruit, better... Uh, better from your labor. Uh, I know um, the Indians used to take and put dead fish in the bottom of the hole when they would plant their corn to give it nutrients, to help it grow. Uh, All of these things, this all happens naturally when you have a wildfire. God here is pruning so that something amazing can happen. But The next thing that we can see is the majority got sent home. The majority of men bent down and plunged their faces into the water to drink. They were overcome by their thirst. They couldn't wait to get what they wanted. These men also left themselves open to attack. These men might be valiant men and strong men. They at least claimed to not be afraid when Gideon went through, knowing what was before them. But they were not competent men. The job was far too big for them. Now we need to understand these men were not soldiers. We've seen through, throughout Judges that God kept, allowed the nations that, that Israel had not driven out, allowed them to be there to teach Israel war because Israel had forgotten what war was. So these men were not soldiers. So you don't think I'm just making this up. Think with me about the giraffe. You guys all know what a giraffe is, right? Naomi, do you know what a giraffe is? You don't? Well, a giraffe is a really, really, really tall animal that evolutionists would tell us came from a horse. That the horse had to stretch its neck to try and reach leaves that it couldn't reach because it couldn't. there was nothing else for it to eat and because it stretched over... Millions and millions of years, its neck got really, really long. They can be uh, up around 14 feet tall. However, the thing that the evolutionists forget about is the fact that the giraffe was created in a very specific way. You see, inside that long neck, the muscles in that neck are different than muscles in any other animal. They're full of pores, they're full of capillaries. They're full of, they're, they're more like a sponge than they are a muscle. Because in order for the giraffe to get blood all the way to that head, it has to have an enlarged heart. And if the giraffe were to bend over and all of that blood were to just rush to its head, its head would explode. It would die. So when the giraffe bends over to drink, the muscles in its neck <laughs> expand and open up and they allow the blood to go in And they hold it like a sponge. But the problem is when the giraffe stands up, then it doesn't have enough blood in its head. Now, Rachel's been experiencing some dizzy spells this week. And for the most part, if you're standing up and you're dizzy, the reason for that is because you have low blood pressure. Because you're not getting enough blood, enough oxygen to your brain for it to function properly. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but you stand up too quickly and mm-hmm. you faint. Or uh, when I was in the band, they told me not to stand with my knees locked. Because if I stood with my knees locked for very long, I would faint. It For some reason, it took the blood from here and moved it down here, and it fainted. Well, if the giraffe, while it's drinking, suddenly gets attacked by a pride of lions and has to stand up and run away, and it can't get the blood back to its head, then... It's going to faint, and it's dead meat. So the amazing thing about the neck of the giraffe is that when it stands up, when it lifts its neck, all those muscles contract and shoot that blood back up into its head so that it never gets dizzy. It never gets lightheaded. It can stand up and run away and be just fine. That didn't happen through evolution. That happened through creation. That happened because... God designed the draft to be that way. These people, while they were not afraid, were not equipped. Again, just imagine this. I know, I'm sure you all have seen it in movies, but the man that's been in the desert thirsty for... Uh, days and days and days and run out of water and and, and he goes and the first time he sees water he just shoves his head in it. Well, he can't see anything. He can't hear anything. All he can think of is what's in that bucket and getting that water into his body. Now, we need water. Water is mandatory. But these men had plenty of water. They were by a well. But they, when they went down to to the, the water to drink... They let their lust, they let their flesh overcome them and they buried their face in the water. This made them easy targets. They were not aware of their surroundings with their face buried in the water. These strong and valiant men were not capable of following what God wanted them to do because they were overcome by their flesh. Again, they were allowing their flesh to become an idol. Think about today. How many people do we know that on the outside appear to be strong and capable but are constantly caught off guard by the world? Christians who are not paying attention to their surroundings are easy targets for the devil. We shouldn't let the things that are going on in the world discourage us or stop us from serving the Lord. But we also shouldn't just bury our heads in the sand and forget that there is a world around us. We have people, we know people personally that are are preppers that are, that are looking at the world and saying, "Oh, it's, it's it's the end times. We're gonna store all the food. We're gonna we're gonna." build bunkers, we're going to go have a place that we can go hide when things go really bad. That's not what God wants. If God still has us here when things go really bad, it's because God still wants us here and we have a job to do. But on the same token, we can't go through life just thinking everything is okay. We have to be Confident in what is around us, we have to understand what's going on. And I'll explain it a little better when we talk about the minority, which is right now. Proverbs twenty one thirty one. Proverbs twenty one thirty one is among my favorite verses. Proverbs 21:31 says the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Now, you guys know me. I carry a firearm everywhere I go. I do that because I feel like it's my responsibility with the way I was raised with my family to be able to protect my family. I'm prepared for battle. But I know that safety is still the Lord. I'm not looking for a fight, but I'm not going to run away from one either. Nehemiah 4.17 Nehemiah, uh, the governor, uh, Nehemiah left his position as the um, cupbearer of the king. He was given... Grace and mercy by God to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in the middle of all of that, he was challenged by those around him, and and uh, they were threatening to come to war. So in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse number 17, we see how Nehemiah answered this They which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens, with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. He prepared. He knew that they they were out there and that they were going to fight. They wanted to fight. They wanted to hurt. They wanted to stop the building of the wall. So he prepared for that. But he didn't prepare for it to the point where they stopped building the wall. And he relied on God. He relied on what God had said and what God had showed him to take him and keep him. And the wall was finished. Ephesians (laughs) 6. Ephesians 6 and verse number 10 it says finally my brethren be strong in the lord and it excuse me in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Put on the whole armor of God. You'll notice that all the armor that's listed, the breastplate, the shoes, the girdle, the shield, all of that is defensive except for one offensive weapon, the Word of God. But in order for you to go out after you've put on the whole armor of God and be confident that you can stand against the wiles of, devil, of the devil, you have to have all of it on. Again, you have to be right in the middle of where God wants you to be. God wants you to prepare the safeties of the Lord. As we look at the minority, we see a very small number of these men melt down, cupping water in their hands, bringing it to their mouths. These men kept their situational awareness. They were able to know what was going on around them. They kept themselves ready for what might come. They were strong, valiant, and competent men. And it's unfortunate that today, like when these men, or like then, these men are few and far between. 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul, writing to Timothy, a young preacher, a young pastor, exhorts him. In 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. These 300 were faithful men. These men were, who still were not soldiers, were not trained, but they were willing willing to follow directions and keep their head and focus. They didn't let their flesh get the better of them, they were able to still focus and take care of what was needed. They were going to be able to perform the task that was given under the directions that were given. Oh, that we should strive to be those men today. If we want to do that, it starts with 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul continues Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The only way for us to have the peace that Gideon has at this point, that he's going to have after God uh, calms his fears, the peace that allows him to continue forward, even though I'm sure he's afraid, even though I'm sure those other 300 men are afraid. Fighting an, an enemy that is multiple. I, I can't remember exactly. I think it says I have to study it a little more. But I can't remember exactly how many they destroyed of Midian. But, but a, an army that is far bigger than them. So They have to know exactly what God wants from them. And they have to have their faith that God is who He says He is. When we study the Word of God, we learn how to use it. And we learn how to use it, and we become like Christ. And we're given responsibility under God's direction. And when we follow through with those responsibilities, we're pleasing and glorifying to God. Gideon is going to follow through. And Gideon is going to be pleasing and glorifying to God. And you go back to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith a list of the men who God wants to remember for all eternity that they're faithful men. And Gideon's right in the middle of that list. There were the majority that let their flesh, let their fear, let themselves be taken out of the game. And there were the minority that were willing to be used and to be followed, and to follow. It's interesting that number 300, um, David, I believe, had 300 men that were mighty, that followed him. There's also stories, uh, movies, that are based on, um, I believe, The world wants us to believe history, but I believe that they're based here out of the Bible of small groups of 300 that fought off large armies. God is going to do something very amazing with this small group, all because they're willing to just follow are not willing to let their flesh let their fear let themselves be taken out of the game. Let's be those people today.